Yeah. Welcome to the Jornaya Talks Mortgage Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Eshelman, the, uh, the resident mortgage geek, uh, head of consumer finance at Jornaya, uh, former marketer at a consumer direct lender, and excited to have today's guest, Grant Moon on, who I've known for, uh, for a little while now, but gosh, I mean, we've been on I don't know how many panels together and have spoken at, at uh, the same conferences and everything. So super excited to have you on. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah. And so, uh, Mike, uh, just to give everyone a little background too, I thought we were doing a call today to organize uh, a future podcast. And uh, Mike says, well, it's always best if it's organic. And I'm like, why? Well, I would have wore a different shirt and maybe not a hat either. He's <laughs> like, no, it's always the best when we do it that way. So I was like, okay, we might as well do it this way then. Yeah, well, I mean, we were just catching up and you were talking about uh, so much that you've been doing in the last few months because it's, it's been a few months since we really caught up. I mean, yeah. shoot, it might have been, been since October of last year that we really caught up and um, just it feels like on 10 this, years ago, right? Eating at a restaurant feels like 10 years ago. Yeah, um, exactly. this, is, <laughs> this is pretty wild. So as we were catching up, you were telling me about some cool stuff you guys have been doing so grant's the, the ceo of home captain but so much more now so you know what how about how about you give a quick introduction uh, who you are what you've been doing with home captain and then get into some of the cool stuff you have just been doing over the last couple of months yeah sounds good um so i actually uh i fell into the mortgage business just through happenstance um i had a company before home captain uh, that did um, uh, pricing tables specifically around veterans so that veterans can compare rates and fees um, and select the lender. And then we did education around that too. Um, and we ended up selling that company. Um, but that's how I really got into mortgage. It started as a school project in grad school uh, somewhere around eight, eight years ago. Um, and then you know, it, it gave me a great understanding and appreciation of the mortgage market and also the connectivity needed between real estate and uh, mortgage financing, which most people use financing in order to buy a home. And so found that a little bit of a disjointed process, did some test pilots with some lenders that we knew uh, circa five years ago. And you know, that brought us to where we are today, which is, uh, you know, which is really a conversion incubation. Also, we have discounted listing service based off our new acquisition. And, you know, so it's, it's been an interesting time, especially over the past three months. Yeah. So I, my career has been the mortgage industry. My start in the mortgage industry was a loan officer at a consumer direct lender, uh, a couple thousand employees, call center setup. And this, you know, back in, Jeez, like 2004 or something like that. Literally, I was in, I was in training in the morning, signing my paperwork, uh, met the CEO, and then in the afternoon, I was on the phones taking applications. Back when you didn't need a license, right? It was just the company that needed to be licensed. Uh, refinances were always fairly easy in the consumer direct model. Uh, here's a quote. Are you ready? Let's go. When it comes to the purchase side of the business, though, conversions were always a big struggle. Uh, the market tended to be dominated by realtors who would make the introduction 
to the finance side of the business, yeah. right? To local brokers or retail officers. So, yeah. so you've been helping lenders kind of take it the other way so that they're referring their, their consumers over to the realtors, right? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of that, again, stemmed from, you know, my early education from my, uh, from my past company is, um, you know, we, we had lenders that sat on our platform, would give their pricing, and we had menu pricing like many lead providers do for purchase versus refinance. And I found that no one ever wanted to buy purchase leads from us on that platform. And I was like, why? And I didn't have like the knowledge that you did or anything. I was more, a, I was more a technologist and I didn't know the intricacies uh, and intimacy around refinance versus purchase. And um, when I did a deep dive in understanding and talking to some of the great uh, mortgage professionals like yourself, um, I found out that that was a phenomenon that happened is that, you know, the, they didn't want to purchase because, you know, a number of things, people could fall out of the pipeline, they ghost, they do whatever. And then, but mainly because, you know, the agent was so influential that they would, mm -hmm. you know, bring it to their local guy and, and studying the, just the macro trends of, you know, um, customers now seeking the lending solution first. Um, before they actually go to an agent was even a phenomenon that was created from the last downturn back in 2008, where customers became educated on needing to understand first if they even qualified for a mortgage, because circa right. 2008 and beforehand, everyone really qualified for a mortgage. It didn't matter. Everyone if you have a pulse, if you have a pulse, exactly. you qualify. Exactly. You qualify. Oh, okay. But yeah. then the consumer got a lot more educated in knowing that credit tightened overlays uh, were a lot more of something that needed to be worked through with a, a mortgage professional. And so they knew just based on those behavioral changes that they had to go to uh, a mortgage company first. And there was an interesting phenomenon during that time as well is that you had a lot more growth in, in a style of lending, which uh, you and I know as consumer direct, right? And so in that consumer direct uh, growth from the popularity of that model, along with consumers uh, preferences or understanding changing, those two things intersected. And we knew that purchase tied with lending would be incredibly important and to solve for the, um, the long tail incubation associated with purchase, um, and uh, not having that relationship be so transactional, uh, which is a little bit more prevalent within the refi world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the, uh, I want to say last year, probably mid-year or so, I started hearing you talk about AI, right? Artificial intelligence. You guys have been doing some work there. Can you talk a little bit more about what you've been doing in that space? Yeah, um, so really it's a, a lot of it's designed around top of funnel. Um, so, you know, core, well, like any business, right? Uh, you, you have to be very knowledgeable in terms of the funnel process. Um, and, you know, so one of the big things that we've always seen is that there is um, a lot of leads and data out there that lenders have to sift through in order to mine for those customers that can go further down the funnel from a, a lending transaction perspective. 
and so um, earlier in 2018, we signed a deal with a pretty large lead aggregator that put uh, a lot of, let's call it, it you know, you, you had to use either humans or technology or a combination of both. And so that kicked into motion a, a lot of um, uh, R&D development at the time um, and us doing a venture capital round for us to finance additional uh, R&D around AI uh, and using some of the other things out there, like for instance, we have IBM Watson attached to our AI as well that allows for it to uh, learn and faster and record it. And um, so, you know, what we wanted to do in our thesis was that, you know, there's a substantial amount of leads that don't ever even get contacted. Um, it's a contact rate game, right? And contact rates for leads are roughly 50%. If I were to ask any one of the, uh, even our mortgage customers, so they're about 50%. So that leaves 50% of the entire universe, 50% of everyone's capacity on the front end from calling to dialing to personnel that are relatively wasteful, but are required in order to mine through all of those contact rates to then get the, the contact app, get the app to prequal or you know refinance or lock or whatever and then bring it to an overall monetization event mm -hmm. and so you know our thesis was is that well you know this could likely be done via an automated fashion with a humanized persona within an ai bot that allowed for us to have those conversations, but not in a um, telephonic way, because we, although we've experimented with the telephonic way, you can't not have the thing sound like Max Hedrum right now. <laughs> I'm kidding myself. I'm 40, but like Max I was going to say, I wonder how many people are actually going to get that one. Yeah, or, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Or Stephen Hawking's voice recorder, you know, like you could, we could use a different, um, but uh, that, but more so that uh, uh, text message was a lot more of a uh, uh, movement from a consumer preference perspective, which makes a lot of sense. And so we designed right. our bot, which is a chat bot, uh, which we now have a persona. It's called Jordan. We have a few different personas um, that can go back and forth with customers related to you know simple questions that consume a lot of uh, people's time and answering and probably the consumer direct world could give like 40 different examples of how much you know customers they talk to that um, you know don't act don't they they probably shouldn't have ever even called like you know and, and you're seeing this even more now of course right you see that the fed put the interest rate to zero Customers think that the zero percent interest rate is actually the mortgage interest rate. Um, right. You see the same thing with questions around forbearance versus refinance. You see all of those various different things that are consuming the uh, the mortgage universe that really don't necessarily entirely have to be handled through human interaction. Uh, what we like to consider is that there's a unique intersect between technology and the human element that allows for a good consumer experience. Uh, it's not one or the other, it's normally an equilibrium point between the two. Yeah, I, I mean, you bring up a, 
a good point in terms of, well, what I was hearing with that is we work with a couple of banks that were initially, you know, kind of mid-March range starting to complain about the number of phone calls, the number of inbound calls they had. Number one, they were doing a ton of business because refinance rates gotten so low, they're at capacity and, and they're, they weren't spending much money on marketing because you, you know, every dollar that they were spending on marketing is a dollar wasted because they couldn't handle another deal. On top of that, they had so many phone calls asking, uh, you know, for the 0% mortgage or, you know, whatever, forbearance, they just had so many phone calls coming in. I want to say it might've been three or four times the capacity that they could handle. And that's, capacity at what they can handle times three or four. Sure. Yeah. Capacity is a busy time. Capacity is a real thing for sure. Yeah. And being so, able to discern between. Absolutely. And that's, you know, just being able to upfront understand, you know, who's asking about this, go there. Who's asking about that, go there and handle that in more automated fashion. Because now you start talking about how many agents are available to handle that, who they should be spending time with, et cetera, et cetera. Now, throw into the mix, work from home, coronavirus, you know, enforcing a whole new process. Right. I mean, heads are spinning and in, in mortgage through all that. So well, not a, go, factor in like the, the whole, you know, things that the mortgage companies have to deal with, with the margin calls and everything yeah. else too. It's like, and like, like everything, you know, uh, took took a little bit of a strange, um, strange little perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah, I would say everything that what I knew after a decade of being in mortgage, anyone who's been in the business for a year that was paying attention to what was going on over the last couple of months has a decade of experience now because I mean everything was being thrown at the mortgage. Uh, industry with with all of that um which does make it interesting and i don't know if, if you've really heard any stories from you know the realtors or or anything like that of what's going on but i was speaking with a loan officer yesterday based in texas who went to drop off some flyers in an open house people are attending the open house no masks being worn now i'm in los angeles and uh and it's a different world here there's a form you have to sign if you're going to go view a house that says you're going to wear a mask, gloves, booties, and that you haven't had any symptoms, um, you know, no cough, no fever, et cetera, et cetera. It also says that the person uh, selling the house has wiped everything down to the best of their ability. But basically, both parties are taking a risk walking into a house. It's pretty stringent right now. But I mean, what are you hearing out there? What are you seeing? How are realtors doing? There, so there's some states that we have agents in that um, are were uh, they considered real estate to be an essential service. There's some that did not, like uh, like California, right? Um, I think what's interesting and kind of uh, you know what's happened over with home. So home captain actually on February 26 had finalized and registered that we acquired a real estate technology company called Redify. So on top of all this stuff going on, we acquired a company, took them from uh, private to public with our partners. And, um, and so in that product or division that we call it now within Home Captain, only ever did uh, listings, very similar to like mm -hmm. a, uh, a Redfin, so discounted listings. But one of their products 
um, or one of our products is digital full service that they've had forever. And what was really interesting because, you know, you can only like connect a lot of these dots looking backwards is that we're seeing in the month of March, our sales increase for that product, we saw 224% increase in our digital full service sales where you don't ever even meet a broker to sell your home. And, you know, I was like, ooh, hero, like, you know. Granted like, genius. I'm like, oh my God, like what happened? Is it just like, uh, but coincidentally, it was the luck of the draw because of everything going on and um, whether, you know, and people's caution uh, and perhaps even, you know, caution on top of intensity of caution, which didn't borderline hysteria, but you know, it was somewhere in between if you were to look on a continuum. So people were mm -hmm. being overly cautious and some, you know, were also then saying, I just don't even want to, you know, deal with any people whatsoever, talk with them. And so we saw a lot of that where we were able to uh, sell people's homes without actually them even talking to anyone. We worked with buyers coming in as well that um, were uh, essentially they had to do let's call it fully underwritten pre-approvals mm -hmm. uh, and make the offer and sometimes even before even being able to go inside the home and see. So it'd be contingency based wow. offers uh, in terms of inspection and final viewing um, and everything like that. So there's a lot of things that we see out there that were like that. Um, and then in obviously some of the states that real estate was a non-essential service, you're not they, they weren't take, you can't take a buyer out, you know? And so there's pockets and it's really interesting to look at um, how every state has handled things differently because it really then made the real estate community do a number of different things differently. Like either, you know what? You're not gonna do anything. We in fact hired for our call center recently some agents that actually were looking for full-time employment because their respective states, like a California, them shut down for in, in the LA area, I think it's like until mid-July, right? Or I think uh, right now we're pegging a uh, 4th of July reopening. Yeah, so, you know, and then there's some states that, um, you know, there's some states that opened up early, like a Georgia or a South Carolina, where I used to live up until about six weeks ago. Um, Colorado opened like three weeks early. So all of those various different localized nuanced things is happening, which I would say has affected uh, affected the real estate community pretty largely, more so than the lending community, because you don't need to do uh, for the most part, you don't need to meet somebody in person in order to do a loan, especially a refinance loan. Yeah, yeah it will be interesting uh, out here in California. We've had, uh, and understandably so, the supply has really dried up. Yeah. And demand has dried up too, but not as much. So it's really propping up home values right now. Yep. I'm really curious to see, you know, what happens as things start to open up. Are we going to have a flood of supply start to hit the market of everyone who had been planning on selling their home uh, and what that does. But, you know, again, it's, it's the, uh, just like so many other things, it'll be interesting to see what happens as everyone starts opening back up. 
Yeah, I, no, I mean, and you make a lot of sense. So like what we're seeing too is like, um, you know, in some of the, let's call it some of the secondary markets, um, like uh, Nashville, Tennessee, or anything like that, we, we are seeing growth in demand. Um, and then some of the areas that um, growth in demand from buyers and also from sellers, um, where we're seeing declines in demand. And again, this is somewhat related to when people open up. Some of it might be pricing, some, some of it might be like uh, fleeing from urban epicenters. Mm -hmm. You see like the greater New York City type of area where prices are declining a bit. Um, and maybe because everyone's getting ready to say, well, maybe it's time to move out to the burbs or something to that effect. And, and it's a lot of things that are only hunches that no one knows yet, but you right. do start seeing like these pockets of data points that, you know, to your point, like are pretty impactful where we probably won't be able to know until we connect the dots backwards, but there's a lot of interesting phenomenon happening. Yeah. There is. There's. So at Jornaya, we have uh, we have our code across 30, 35,000 plus comparison shopping sites, mortgage, insurance, real estate. You know, I was looking at the insurance data uh, nationwide, and since March, we've actually seen an uptick in shopping behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, which you know, I wonder how much of that is attributed to the fact that so many people are working from home. And can just look at home listings all day long and not have to worry about their wa boss walking by or anything. It's like, you're at home. You could just check out houses all day long and have it up on your screen. But it's been, it, it, it's been a very noticeable uptick when it comes to that home shopping activity. That's interesting. Cause you know, and, and I, I, you know, I, I really hope that this, regardless of, you know, you never would have hoped this scenario to happen. We are where we are and it is what yeah. it is. But what I do hope for is that, um, you know, and I hope I don't get my, my hands up in saying this though. I do hope that that does create a little bit more affordability um, for, you know, the average American person because there was points, uh, especially up until the pandemic that, affordability was just becoming completely mismatched in terms of household income on an average basis across the country. So, you know, ideally there's a, there's a good much more uh, pent up demand out there. Uh, ideally when they open things back up, I think I saw today the, uh, there was an additional two or three million unemployment added to the overall figure. So it's pushing roughly 40 million unemployed right now, which is pretty sizable. So, mm -hmm. You know, ideally when, you know, country begins to open up, not on a nuanced state by state basis, but, you know, on a national level, it creates, um, you know, ideally some conditions for the everyday working American that can, that can achieve the, the aspect of home ownership, that people get back to work, that people get employed again. Um, and have the ability to have a clean balance sheet themselves so that they can buy homes and hopefully it's a little bit more affordable. Yeah. I, so I, I geek out on podcasts. I, I love listening to podcasts. My favorite podcast is Pivot. 
which mm-hmm. is Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. If you haven't listened to it before, it, you got to listen to it. Scott Galloway is a uh, NYU Stern professor. He's a character. Uh, he keeps it super interesting, that's for sure. And he's, he's filled with a ton of data. Uh, and so, you know, they do listener mail. And I decided to, to submit my question, which is, it will be interesting to see, because if, if I'm allowed to make a prediction, um, you know, this, this would be one of my big predictions that hopefully uh, I can point back to this and say I was right, although I don't know if I want to be right. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but I mean, listen, everyone's in this forced work from home experiment right now. So many companies, right? It's, it, everyone's working from home. What happens is, is if this ends up being wildly successful, we're already seeing, I think Facebook today announced um, they're projecting half of their workforce in the next five years to be working from home uh, and hiring a lot more remote employees. Well, how much, how valuable will office space be if so many more people are working remotely, you're gonna have a lot more empty office buildings. Do those office buildings get turned into condos, apartments, do you have a lot more commercial turned into residential, uh, thereby creating a lot more uh, homes for people to be living in, uh, as opposed to, I mean, LA, New York, I mean, everything's so condensed um, and home property values are just through the roof. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see if you uh, see, start to see those conversions of, of office buildings turned into condos or something like that, just creating a, a massive, even a 20% movement of, office to residential conversions a huge movement it's true so like we have capacity here in the in our office in denver probably for about 60 to 70 people um right now the entire company is working from home with a few exceptions right like i'm in the office uh darla and our team who's our assistants in the office and then there's you know one person here that we allow for flexibility based on you know you know, them not having daycare and things like that. And they wanted to, Mm -hmm. but um, otherwise everyone's working from home and quite frankly, um, and I I don't think my, you know, landlord will listen to this, but I mean, our week is (laughs) December and I don't have any intention of renewing because um, to your, your point, what will fundamentally change going forward is a lot more of like, you know what, maybe here's the recommended coming in and you need less office space and maybe maybe we stagger everyone to come in two days a week. And, right. everyone, and, and even that is, let's call it like up to you too, but a recommended set of coming in might be two days a week. Well, if you're gonna do that and you're gonna save that much money on your rent, well then what can you do to create additional engagement amongst your employees? Well, you could do like maybe a monthly like team building exercise. You could do a monthly outing and that's the way that you create the camaraderie in the office atmosphere. And I'm just spitballing here, but to your point, you're absolutely right. Like we've Edger and I, we've been wildly successful with this. A, we've, we were kind of already set up for it because we have some like myself that I work remotely. I'm usually traveling, uh, you know, 30, 40% of the time. Uh, but other than that, I'm working from home and many others are as, as well. But now when you start, you know, everyone else had to go remote, you know, we have Slack, 
Uh, we have Zoom. We're used to the communicating with people out of the office to the point where we didn't really skip a beat. We've been doing really well. And we've implemented other things too that keep the employee engagement up. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think a lot of companies will find that it's quite, uh, quite successful and have to make the business decision. You know, do you want to keep as much office space? I mean, don't get me wrong. I like socializing with my colleagues um, and, and love going into the office, uh, you know, but you might not need as much office space. Or you might not need as many either, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, even if like, you're not a company that centralizes that has like a huge office space or anything like that, and maybe you have five little offices, like we have an office in New York City, Charleston, Denver, um, Texas, uh, Florida, and Tennessee. And you know what? Do you, do you need all of it? Right. Probably yeah. not. There's there's a lot. It'll be, uh, you know, we'll see what 2021 20, holds for us all once, once things open back up and then everyone starts making some decisions. But uh, look, I mean, we can go on and on. I'm telling you, this was great. I'm glad, I'm glad we, we chose just to hit the record button and, and see what happens. So yeah, uh, I appreciate it. And, and hopefully it won't be too much longer before uh, I see you out on the road at conferences and, and client meetings and stuff like that. Uh, miss seeing your face. Yeah, same here, man. Same here. And congrats on actually beating the COVID and for uh, you specifically going above and beyond with uh, uh, donations of, uh, of plasma and, and your yeah. time and everything else. So uh, that actually, when you told me that, even before we did the record button, I made a little note. I'm like, man, Mike, why is Mike doing so much for it? And I haven't done anything. I better get out there and do the same. So um so kudos to you and for doing that and your family for uh, getting through getting sick and then also doing your part for your community and, and donating as well. I, I, it goes, a, it's, it's a big deal. So uh, yeah, kudos thank to you. you. And I'll, I'll toot your own horn because I know you won't do it. <laughs> so, um, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was great. Uh, Grant, thank you very much uh, for joining the Jornaya Talks Mortgage Podcast. And until next time.